Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. I want to talk to you about the overcoming church today. Ephesians 3, 11 through 21. I want to talk about an overcoming church. An overcoming church. According to the eternal purpose, everyone say eternal. Everyone say purpose. There is an eternal purpose out there that you can get tapped into and become a part of. Which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Where do we get our purpose from? Christ Jesus. Where did Jesus get his purpose from? He got it from the eternal will of God. Amen. So when if you have Christ in your life, you have a Christ-centered eternal purpose working in your life. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. We have access. That's amazing through Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations. Paul is writing here. Don't be, don't, don't be faint at my tribulations for you. For you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. Anybody need strength in the place today? That he would grant it unto you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. Notice that the riches of God's glory gives you strength. Strength does not come from your strength training. It does not come from your hit training or your gym time. Strength can come from the riches of God's glory. Might, with might by his spirit. I want to say by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which is pa- which pass passes all understanding or passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly you know that verse right that's all that's preceding this verse now unto him is able to do exceeding abundant above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us it's talking about the Holy Ghost working in us that has connection to Christ's eternal purpose unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Look at that right there. It says unto him be glory in the what? Is that a building? Who's the church? We are. He's saying unto him be glory in us by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. Amen. That's why I want to talk to you about the overcoming church because no matter what age, no matter what time period, the church is always going to be overcoming. Amen. I'm really excited to preach about that. Lord, we just ask you to help the word, that it be sown, that it be seen, that it be applied to our life. Let us take it. Let us take it beyond an altar call, Lord Jesus. Let us not forget what it was preached today by the time we get home for lunch, but let us remember what is in the word of God. And I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. I want to stop off in Matthew 17 at some point here and just talk to you about a situation that happened where 
Somebody brought a child to the disciples, and the disciples could not cast the demon out of him. And then they took him to Jesus, and Jesus was like, why do I have to suffer with you? Oh, ye of little faith. And you think he's talking to sinners, but he's not. He's talking to his disciples. That's a rough place to be, right? Whenever the one that's leading you turns around and says, I'm having to suffer with you. It's kind of rough. And Jesus rebuked the, the devil out of him. And then after they departed, the child was cured that very hour. And then the, the disciples came to Jesus after that, and they said, why, why couldn't we do that? You gave us power over demons and uh, by your name. Why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, this is verse 20 of, of Matthew 17, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, these are disciples. They've given up everything for Jesus. Their whole life has changed. They were fishing. He said, let's go be fishers of men. They're like, this isn't a big enough lure for that, but I'll do it. I don't understand. I really don't know why we're going to hunt to fish for men. It's like, I, I don't get it. But actually, they didn't fish with fishing rods. They fished with nets. So it made sense to them that their net worth is going to now be a network of people that they're going to win to the Lord. And it's going to be amazing. But Jesus was saying, you, you have unbelief. I've given you all this stuff, but yet you're unbelieving. And verily, I say unto you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, anybody ever seen a mustard seed? It's very, very small. And ye shall say to this mountain, be removed, and it shall be cast into the sea. It be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out by this, this right here, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. So they learned something that some Arabs learned a long time ago, that if you're not connected, if what you say and what you do is not connected to something bigger or more powerful, it becomes pointless and useless. I stopped at Home Depot this morning on the way here, and I picked up this lovely golden faucet. It's plated with 24 karat gold. If you believe that, I have some sand to sell you. But I've got it for like 34 bucks. It's amazing. It's a beautiful faucet. Spent a whole whopping 34 Okay, so I borrowed it with a receipt. I'm going to take it back after service. Okay, that's, that's how this works. I'm a, I'm a home missionary's pastor kind of thing. You know, I'm just, no, I'm kidding. This thing is useless out of the box. In fact, it's perpetually useless. They've built something beautiful that has no value until it's connected to what gives it the water. Do you understand how many things you buy that have no value at all unless it's connected to something else? There's got to be plumbing and waterworks. I could turn this on all day and you'd get no water because it's not connected to anything. It's just a faucet. And what I want you to understand today is something that these Arabs learned that I want to tell you this story. Thomas Edward Lawrence was born in August 16, 1888 in Wales, popularly known as Lawrence of Arabia. Maybe you read about him when you were younger. Lawrence became famous for his exploits as British military liaison to the Arab revolt during world, uh, the First World War. The desert raids of British officer T.E. Lawrence, that was, that was his name, that it was broken down into an abbreviation, T.E. Lawrence and his Arabs, his Arab rebels tied down many Turkish troops who could have been fighting the main British armies in the Middle East. Lawrence of Arabia's 
struggle against the Turks during World War I was a classic, was a classic of guerrilla warfare, and his personal account has become a classic of world literature. His personal account of that story has become a, a classic in world literature. And, of course, many of you have seen the movie, possibly, about the life of Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence wrote about the Arabian adventure in the book called The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. During the war, Lawrence formed close friendships with many of the sheiks of, of Arabia. After the war, he brought some of them, of those sheiks, back to England to show his appreciation for their support against the Turkish domination. They had a wonderful visit, appeared before the Joint House of Commons, the Parliament had an audience with the Queen, and on the last night of their visit, Lawrence offered them anything they wanted to take back as a gift with them to the de to their desert homes and they led him up to the hotel room into the bathroom and pointed at the faucets in the bathroom and said they wanted to take faucets with them that would provide them with running water in the desert they did not understand that the faucet has no value if there's not something connected to it they didn't realize that the faucet was superfluous it was superficial. Behind them was the plumbing, was the hot water heater, and the energy source that heated the water, and the city main that supplied the water. And from the city main went the line to an outside source of water. So we understand that it's not the faucet that gives the water. It's the waterworks, the plumbing, the city water that provides to the home through the faucet that actually gives the water. But what they thought was that the magic was in the faucet. Amen? That it was behind. They didn't know that what was behind the faucet is the thing that gives the water. The other day I was standing at a doctor's appointment and there was, I do this every once in a while because I'm a little crazy, um, I put a penny on my hand and I made it disappear. Have you ever seen me do that trick where I snap and it goes away? Well, it totally floored this one little girl and then it totally floored somebody else and they're like, oh, where did it go? And then I pulled it out of their ear, you know, that thing. And they're like, you gotta be kidding me. That's where, and they just thought it was amazing little magic trick. It's not magic like as in magic sorcery. It's illusion, just so you know. But I was like, do you want to know how I did it? And they're like, no, 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 no. Let's keep the magic the magic. <laughs> they they liked the fact that it just was so amazing that they wanted to not know how it worked. And sometimes people in the church are like that. They come, they experience God. They feel God turn on the faucet. The worship leader gets up, the worship band gets up, and they turn on the faucet of praise, and they turn on the things that God honors when he says, I'll, I'll, I'll inhabit the praises of my people. And we feel things, and we know there must be a God. And we, we, we sometimes can get the opinion that we just need to take home the faucet. We just need to look to the place where it comes from instead of understanding that what is happening in those moments is because somewhere in a private place, somewhere in a hidden place, someone's got a prayer life, somewhere in a hidden place, someone's got a walk with God and he's blessing publicly what you have in secret, amen? And so we know that is not the faucet. And so what I want to do today is I want you to understand that you will never look at a faucet the same again, <laughs> Hopefully after today, I need some help. Rob, would you come here? What I want you to understand is no matter how beautiful and perfect and even how functional this faucet is, this faucet works if you apply the right pipes to it. It is useless 
without connection. Amen? And what those men did not understand is it wasn't just this thing that they could take home and turn on and off and get water in the desert, but it was the plumbing that was connected to it. But what I want you to see is the scripture says that out of your belly, when you're full of the Holy Ghost, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. So, Rob, you need to hold that right there because Rob is a faucet, and you're a faucet, and I'm a faucet. Amen? So when you walk through Home Depot or, or you walk through Menards next and you walk up to these faucets and just go, useless, unless connected to the right source, amen? Unless Rob is connected to God, he is a faucet. He is made to flow. He's made to have the Holy Ghost flow through him, amen? He's made to be a conduit for others where they can come up and they can get a drink of the anointing of God, where they can see his adversity, but yet know that he's actually anointed over his adversities, amen? That he's overcoming in life, not because he's so good, but because of what he's connected to and his overcoming powers available to anybody that walks up and says, what do you have? And he said, well, let me tell you the source. Let me tell you how I'm connected. Let me tell you how I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the name of Jesus, and how I got filled, and now I'm able to be a conduit. This is the faucet. Amen. Yes, it is useless. And yes, the enemy tries to say so. Yes, the enemy comes and says, you're not worth anything. You can't do anything good on your own. And you know what? He's trying to get you to just be an unconnected source. Because when you're an unconnected source, you have no value. I paid $35 for this, but it does me no good. I can stick it in my car. I can put it someplace in a box, but it doesn't do any good. And yet it's designed for a purpose. It's designed to do something very specific. It's designed to work very well. But because I don't have it connected, you cannot understand the value. In fact, we take it for granted, don't we? Every time we walk up to the faucet, we just turn it on and expect there to be water there because that's what it's designed to do and we are in broken churches with broken people walking around thinking that they're not worth much or they're not good enough and the truth of the matter is that's a lie from the enemy and I call it out here today I'm calling that lie out here today you are valuable you are worth something you're designed for a specific purpose and even if anybody takes you for granted you are still worth more than what they take for granted you are the one that is meant to to cause conduit for God. You're the one that's meant to have flowing revenue, flowing resources, flowing things from God. Through men, God will bless you, amen, the Bible says. Through men. In fact, it talks about when you give, that that gift is going to be pressed down, shaken together, pressed down and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? God has linked the giving of our resources and the giving of our life back to a blessing that he's going to give through other people. In other words, if you put $5 in the offering, you may not get $10 back, but you might get somebody who's connected to God to walk up and say, let me pray for you. Let me, let me do something that nobody else can do because I know you need it, amen? You might get a blessing back in a place that you weren't expecting. How many know God can touch our lives and do things from sources we were not expecting? Thank you. Give Rob a big hand for being our faucet today. So you know that faucets are necessary but they're no good unless they have a source. I don't want to minimize the importance of the vessel. 
God needs faucets, amen? God has always worked through human beings. A friend of mine was coming back from a preaching situation and um, got a text message and there was a woman that had started coming to the church and she was dating a man. He was very abusive and he had abused this child of hers and it was just a horrible scenario. And I only tell you that because you need to be careful who you let in your life. Hello, somebody. And I don't want anything to quench the spirit of God in my life. I don't want anything to cut me off from the source of what God is doing. And this person became very violent and, and the, the child that he beat ended up not surviving. And it was so much worse than I could tell you over the pulpit. But I want to tell you that whenever the preacher began to pray, Lord, why? Why didn't you step in? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you stand in for Jacob? Why didn't you, why didn't you bring somebody to help? And the Lord spoke to his spirit, not audibly, but spoke to his spirit and said, because I had no intercessor. Had I had a man to stand in between heaven or a woman to stand in between heaven and earth and pray, I would have stepped in. God sometimes needs us to be connected, not because of what we can get from it, but because he wants us to pray intercessory prayers for other people. And in fact, an overcoming church is a church full of people praying for other people. Amen? That God will give you what you need if you're willing to give others what they need. It is a message from heaven and it's a message from the word of God that we are designed better to serve than we are to be served. Amen, somebody. In fact, almost every situation that you know of and that you experience, you go to places and shop because they serve you so well. You go to your favorite restaurant because of the way they serve you. Oftentimes, you are more happy serving than being served. Think about the miserable people that are constantly asking to be better served at their restaurant or their place of business or wherever it's at. But the people who have a good attitude and are willing to be a vessel and a conduit are giving the, of themselves. They are happy. It's better to give, Scripture says, than to receive. There is something amazing about being connected to service. We have to be vessels, amen? We have to be vessels. If you want to live an overcoming life, you have to learn to find your place of purpose and plug in and be what is needed. An overcoming church is full of overcoming people that want to be used by God. Can somebody say amen right there? God can use anyone. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. He was like, nope. I'm just going to take this rock and this rag and go after that giant. You want to know why? Because he'd been playing with that rock and rag, hitting trees, hitting stumps, taking out varmints. I'll call them varmints because if I said rabbits, half of the women in the room would go, oh. And then PETA would come in. They would censor my podcast. It's all over. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Timothy had an ulcer. Amos, Amos' only training was the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Amen, somebody? 
Come on, you're afraid of death, you know it. <laughs> I'm afraid of snakes. No, you're afraid of the venom of the snake that can kill you. I'm afraid of spiders. No, you're afraid of the death from the spider. I'm afraid of heights. No, you're afraid of the fall from heights. You're afraid of death. Just break it all down for you there. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. It's kind of a problem, right? God used him anyways. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Sorry, I don't know how that got in my notes. Right here is where I, oh, just to make sure everybody's listening. Okay, that's, that's what that's all right. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. No, just kidding. He was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burnt out. Amen, somebody. For years he lived burnt out in ministry. Martha was a worry wart. Mary may have been lazy. Samson had long hair. Not, Noah got drunk, and, that not all, and that's not all he did. Did I mention that Moses had a short fuse? Don't elbow anybody that has a short fuse near you. But God does require, God does require a job interview. God doesn't require, sorry, God doesn't require a job interview. He doesn't hire and fire like most bosses because he's more than our, he's more our dad than our boss. Amen, somebody. He's our father. He doesn't look at financial gain or loss. He's not prejudiced or partial, not judging or grudging. Amen. He's not sassy or brassy. Uh-oh, my rhymes are on point. It's getting lit <laughs> in here. Not deaf to our cries, not blind to our need. The truth is that he is a God who is all-supplying. I, I was grateful when I understood what one Christian minister once said, that I was never of any use to God until I found out that God did not intend me to be a great man. Overcoming is not becoming great in the world's eyes. In fact, the world's eyes of the world's definition of success is not God's definition of success. You can live in a small town and love on 20 families as a pastor for all of your ministry and God will honor you and give you a crown in glory and call that success over the man who pastors 500 and is only interested in his golf outing on Monday. Hello, somebody. I'm not preaching against. I'm not salty. I'm not angry. I'm just saying God's form of success is different sometimes than what the world says is success and I want to be an overcomer according to the word of God I want to live in an overcoming life I want to be in an overcoming church I want to become an overcomer myself because if I commit to being an overcomer and I am the church then we are overcomers collectively amen somebody an overcoming church is a church that is available to the use of God it doesn't matter how how skilled you are, how talented you are. In fact, I sent something out to the leaders on a text that said, God is more concerned about character than he is about talent when it comes to leadership. God is not looking at your resume. He's looking at your availability. Amen, someone. I want to be a part of a church that may have struggles, 
but that finds their gladness in being here to serve the Lord and each other. Serving the Lord is a huge component in the scriptures. Psalms 102 says, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. That we're supposed to serve the Lord with gladness. God needs us to be faucets, amen? And some of those things don't happen until we do the things that are not hidden. I'll give you a little example of why it's so important for you to make a decision ahead of time to be a servant in the Lord's house and to be a servant in the things of God and to be a servant to other people and not slap back when they slap you verbally and not not come back after them. You stab me, I stab you three times. That's not a, a, an attitude of the scriptures. That's not an attitude of the Christian. That's a person who's running on their emotions. And if you run on your emotions, you will make bad decisions. Amen. I had someone show up to me just this last week and they had the cookies that I bought for um, Girl Scout cookies. And I had one of those thin mints and the sleeve was gone. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how my face got in that whole sleeve of cookies, but it, somehow it happened. And then I had a caramel delight and wanted to fill my living room with them. If I was to purchase things on my emotions, if I was to live on my emotions, our, my life would be a train wreck. You have to understand that you have to make a decision before the decision. You have to choose to serve God even when it's not good and you will walk out of the bad moments because going through the Red Sea is designed to drown the things behind you that God doesn't want you to live with anymore. If you don't go through anything and push past your emotions and decide, I'm going to be a Christian now when it's sun shining and I'm going to be a Christian when the storms are raging, you have no understanding of what the word of God says that adversity was good for me scripture says that it was good that I was afflicted why because God used those affliction moments to train me and to teach me and to drown my enemies and to drown my past and to take out of me what I couldn't get out myself and to get me away from people that would have eventually hurt my life but instead if I go through those things God will use it for his glory had the children of Israel gone around the Red Sea, it would have never drowned Pharaoh's armies. You have to understand that what you're going through is designed to bless you. And when you get to the other side, you will be with tambourine singing, the horse and the rider he has cast into the sea. Just like they were, you will be celebrating even though it was hard. You will forget the emotion of how hard it was and celebrate the God who brought you through it. You have to make decisions not based on your emotions. If you want an overcoming life, if we want to be an overcoming church, whether there's 25 people here or 75 people here, we're going to have church in this house till I am green in the face. We're going to let God move. We're going to let the Holy Ghost move. We're going to love people. We're not going to talk bad about people because when you talk bad about people all week, when you see them on Sunday, you can't treat them any better than you've been talking talking about them all week and we're going to bind that we're going to cast it out we're going to get through it we're going to go to the other side and we're going to let the Lord drown it in the Red Sea amen somebody we're going to let God cover it with his blood and his sacrifice at Calvary there's no way that you're going to get me tied up and stuck in the Red Sea I'm going through this and you have to get that mentality I'm going through this you're going through this 
You're going to go through this. You're going to make it through this. And God has a design for us that is just like what we see in Scripture, that we were not meant to have a stationary purpose. We were meant to have an eternal purpose. And he says, walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And you cannot walk if you only take a step and stop. If you like Monday, I read my Bible, and I, a walk is a steady pace. He didn't say stumble after God. Start, stop, go a little bit, maybe, no, I, I feel good. Today I'm going to read my Bible, no. That's stumbling, that's falling down even. What he was saying is walk with God. It's a steady transition and balance of your pace. Your body's not designed to, to put more weight on one leg than the other. That causes you to limp. God didn't say limp. He said walk. And so whenever you walk, you have to, Monday, you pray and read your Bible and not stop. Tuesday, pray and read your Bible. Wednesday, pray and spend time with the Lord. You call it quiet time if you want to. I like to call it pray and read my Bible, but every single day you walk with God. So then come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're strengthening yourself because you feel that eternal purpose of God start to pulse through your life and all of a sudden you realize what you haven't been connected to is the Spirit of God and then you realize, wait a minute, I, I'm starting to talk to people about Jesus more. I'm starting to open up the faucet that used to be closed off. I don't want to be like the scripture talks about, that I, I'm a well without water, clouds without rain. I don't want to be that person because that is a person who can't bless. In fact, all you need to do is put somebody in a difficult situation and you find out whether they're connected, amen, whether they're connected to God or not because they will either open up and stuff will flow out of them that will encourage them and get them through their struggle and get them through their trial or they will be a dry well and have nothing and they'll turn to struggle and their struggle will turn into depression and anger and problems and difficulty and the only thing that will come out of that faucet is flesh when what's supposed to flow forth is the spirit of God but when we walk with God on a regular basis Monday gets better even if Tuesday's hard, it's still better because I walked with Jesus today. Even if Wednesday's not like I expected it, it's still good because I spent time in the presence of the Lord and in his word today and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And by next Sunday, when you come here, you won't come depressed. You won't come down. You won't come exhausted. You'll come ready to hear what God has to say. You'll come ready to lift your hands and worship the Lord. You'll come to church excited. You'll come to church with with your finger in your Bible saying, I've got a verse that's kept me all week. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You'll begin to preach your own messages. You'll do like you did in my living, in my kitchen last night where I looked over at the oil and I just put some on my finger and started praying for myself. You'll do like Peter when he's fallen into the water after getting out of the boat. He said, Lord, save me. You don't need a long prayer. You just need to pray for yourself sometimes. You need to pray a prayer over your life. You, God will help you. God will help you to not only be a faucet for others, but you'll stop recognizing that it's so difficult and start recognizing that you have life and death and the power of your tongue and begin to pray for yourself. Prayers can be powerful even if they're short. Amen, somebody? I'm trying to get to these notes, but they're not happening. I have all kinds of notes. And we have lunch. So, hey, we can uh, decide which one we want to do first. 
let me tell, let me deal with this, okay? This I wrote down. I feel like it's of God. It says our decisions are made without regard to our emotions. I shared this in class this morning. How many know that Spirit Life class is one amazing place to be? Uh, how many were there this morning? Raise your hand if you were at Spirit Life class. Look at this. 10 o'clock, you need to be here. Brother Reese is tearing it up. He taught on Manassas last week. I have never heard, was it Manassas? Yeah. I've never heard someone teach on Manassas like that. He's like, are you sure, Pastor? You didn't even know the name. <laughs> it was Manassas. I just couldn't remember. But it was amazing. It was good teaching. And it was encouraging. How many have felt encouraged going to that class? Amen. The problem with focusing on your feelings and having your feelings guide you in your decision-making process, everybody say decide before you decide. You have to learn how to set up boundaries. The only reason why people don't have boundaries in their life is because we're living without decisions. We're living a life where you text me and I decide what we're going to go do tonight. You hit me up and we'll decide whether I want to do that or the thing I had planned, which doesn't really seem as fun now. That seems like more fun, so I'm going to cancel that and go to this. We're living very much on a decision-decision basis, and we're not deciding ahead of time. So that's the culture that we live in. There's a lot of things changing about our culture. I don't have time to deal with it, but the, the church that's overcoming, people that are overcoming life, those are people that have made a decision before the decision shows up. I've set my boundaries. I'm not going there before it shows up. That's how you be successful. Anybody know that's true? Anybody worked long enough to know that they're going to ask you to do some things that you know are beyond your personal compass and moral grounding, and you have to decide ahead of time, no, I'm not signing that document that I have nothing to do with. No, I'm not signing your name. Hello, somebody. Anybody been there? Where you've been asked to do things, and you had to stand your ground. You have to decide that before you get there and say, no, that's I'm, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. It's against it's against what I believe and what I stand for. The problem, of course, is that we make those decisions at the time instead of beforehand. Feelings are fickle and unpredictable. Turn to your neighbor and say, oh, I don't know if I should say this to somebody. <laughs> this might not be a good turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and tell him your feelings are real. Then turn back to him and say, but that doesn't mean they're right. Everybody survive that? Okay. Just because you have feelings doesn't mean they're right. Amen? So if you make your decisions on your feelings, you will make wrong decisions on wrong feelings. Your feelings are real. Be angry, the scripture says, and sin not. God is not a God of sin, but yet God does get angry. Do you understand that anger is a human emotion because we are created in the likeness of God? We're created in his image and his likeness. That's why you can be an atheist and have a moral compass. You can believe it's not right to kill another human and not know anything or believe there is a God. That likeness is in you whether you want to believe it or not. Hello, somebody. I got one amen. If it's not true, that's fine. If you don't believe it, that's fine. The fact remains that there are some things that when you see somebody beating another person, you go, somebody needs to stop that. That is a likeness of God. That is a moral grounding inside of you because you're created in his image and his likeness. Amen, somebody. 
And so you have to understand that there are some things that you're going to need to decide beforehand, and that is the emotional part of your life is not to dictate the decision part of your life. Your feelings are fickle and unpredictable. Number two, feelings may be very real, but very wrong. The devil, listen to this, the devil has access to your emotions. The devil does not know God's purpose for your life. The devil does not know God's plan for your life. The devil can see spiritual activity. And when there are more angels showing up at your house, God, and God is moving in your life, the devil knows something's about to happen, and I'm going to attack. That's how the enemy knows. It can see the, the workings in the spiritual world, and he can see what you're going through, and he can see what you tell him. The enemy does not know what you're thinking. He only knows what you tell him. And when you're telling him everything, he has a way to fight you. If you're saying everything that you're struggling with, he has a way to fight you. So don't let your emotions out your mouth decide before you get into that situation that I'm going to tough it out, amen, because I don't want to lose my connection. And the last thing, when I said be angry and said not, do not give place to the devil, that word diablos is the devil that he will actually come in and take a place in your anger if you let it get to the point of bitterness or you get it to it gets to the point of of holding a grudge amen somebody we are to let it go forgiving is an act of Christ because he forgave us of so much that forgiving somebody else sets you free not them they are still accountable to God but if you don't let them go if you don't be angry and sin not the enemy will slither in and will slander them to you and you will believe something against them that may not be true. The story may have a hole in it, amen? And so I want you to understand that you may build some feelings in situations. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever been there, but have you ever had a feeling about a situation and then you hear the rest of the story and your feelings were not even close to right? I'm, I'm wrapping up. I know you guys are squirming. It's like, Pastor, this is a long sermon. I'm trying to get the point across that how we overcome in life is based on our decisions. And if our decisions are based on our emotions, we have big issues. All of our life. We, have a not, we, we cannot overcome. Remember, we're growing in our relationship with God. And he wants to grow us out of immature emotional decisions. Amen, somebody? So this morning, Jesus teaches us the very important lesson that we have to stay connected to him because our emotions can disconnect us from God. And if we don't manage our emotions properly and make decisions off that, we can be faucets without water. And I don't want to be that. If you've ever been in a place where you felt like you had no purpose, I don't know where I'm going next, I don't know what I'm doing next. I don't know why I'm on this earth. You have been disconnected from your source. Because when you live connected to God, you start to feel the eternal purpose of God driving and pulsing inside of you. And you get up in the morning and you're like, I have something God wants me to do today. Can you stand with me today? They most likely watched as Jesus cast out the devil in our text, and it talked about the eternal purpose of God that Jesus had and that the disciples were given, and they did not necessarily understand that because 
They didn't see that there was something more to this miracle than just saying the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is powerful. Anybody agree? But Jesus said there's more than that. You use my name for the authority, but you need prayer and fasting backing it up. And so that doesn't mean we pray and fast to twist God's arm like a holy, there you go, Jesus. I got my fasting in. I got my prayers in. Now you do the miracle. No, it's not like that. What you're doing is you're putting yourself as a, making yourself a better antenna and a better conduit. So then whenever God wants to do something, you're available to it. And we have to also understand that in the overarching picture of what's going on, we see a lot of people that get, you know, I've preached a lot of sermons, okay? I've preached a lot of sermons. And every time I preach about miracles and blessings, the church gets right with you. Everybody's excited about that. I want a miracle. Do you want a miracle? I want a miracle. Do you want a blessing? I want a blessing. It's easy to get with that. But the truth of the matter is miracles happen because of two basic reasons. Number one is expectation. You have to expect that God can do it. If you don't have an expectation for what's happening right now in this service, we're going to go to lunch. We're going to go feed this person because I'm hungry too. But if you have an expectation, expectation speaks out. It's a woman who will crawl under a crowd to get to a hem of a garment. Expect from God. But she didn't just expect. I see a lot of preachers that preach about expectation. You come to the altar and you expect from God you're going to get it and people turn around and go home and they're not changed. They want to be changed, but they have not felt God touch them the way that they're desiring and there's things that they're dreaming and hoping that God will do that he hasn't done yet and they're waiting on God and they're going through it and they're being faithful and honoring God by doing so. But the thing that changes and the miracle falls, I'm, how about you? Are you ready for a miracle that's hovering to touch down? Are you ready for a promise or a prophecy to show up in your life? Expectation will get it. Expectation will get you in a place to do it. But the second thing is preparation. That is what's in the scripture. We can sit here all day and say, well, I'm going to pray until. Pray and sit down. Pray and sit out. No. That woman with the issue of blood said, I don't not only expect that Jesus can heal me, but I'm going to crawl to him to get it if I have to. I not only think that the angel troubles the waters, but I'm going to get closest to the pool. I not only think that the Lord wants to wants to do his work in the earth, I'm going to make myself a vessel available to that. I'm going to be the best faucet there can be because I want to be connected to the source. Noah, build an ark. God's going to do miraculous things. He's going to save you and your family, but not until you prepare for it. He's expecting God to do what his word said, but he had to prepare for it. Little woman sees the prophet. I'm not even reading notes. I'm just saying, out of the stories in the Bible, go back and go through them. Little woman sees a prophet coming to visit on a regular basis. He eats dinner and then has to leave because she has no room in the house for him to stay overnight. And her husband, she talks with him and says, I want a baby, but I can't have a baby. And every time the prophet comes and has dinner, I'm hoping that maybe he'll prophesy over me and then I'll get, I'm expected. I'm expecting him to say something that gives me that miracle because a lot of times whenever the prophet or the man of God would, would speak over somebody that they would get pregnant in the, in the Old Testament and that was a way for them to deal with infertility. We have so much more science now, but God can still do it. And so they were just like, maybe, maybe, maybe 
we can prepare a place for the prom. I don't have a nursery if a baby does come. I'm going to need a place to put the baby and the priest. The priest, can, the minister, he can stay there until the baby comes. And maybe if we build a house for him next to our house, and he can just not eat and then have to go, but eat and can stay, maybe he'll turn to me and say, this time next year, you shall have a child. And it happened just like that. Maybe we can understand that when you're carrying the man sick with a palsy and the house is full, that you're expecting Jesus to heal your friend. You've prayed prayers like that. But it's until you tear off the roof that you've prepared. So maybe today is not an altar call day. Maybe today is a day to pray for your preparedness that you've been expecting from God because you believe God can do it, right? You've prayed prayers that said, God, you're my source. You're my resource. I believe you can do it. You're at expectation. But maybe we can step into a place of preparation where we pray for our patience. We pray for our decisions. We pray for our expectancy, but we pray for a, a willingness to prepare that we go home and we change our spiritual life. We change our nutrition. We're praying for healing of our bodies, but maybe we go home and change the way we eat. Our entire life structure can be reorganized just by saying, I'm going to eat healthier and be stronger in my body. Maybe we can do things to prepare ourselves for the miracle of health we're praying for. I know that's not popular, and I'm sorry. I'm fitting it into this sermon series right now because it needs to be said. You can pray the same prayers all your life with expectancy and never get the miracle you're asking for. But if today, if today this sermon goes long, but it goes beyond this altar call, and you go home and you say, I am going to do something to prepare myself. I feel a baby kicking inside. I'm going to prepare that nursery. I'm going to prepare that place. I'm going to prepare that next step. I'm going to prepare myself for that next level in my job. I'm going to prepare myself for that next level of my ministry. I'm going to pray in private when nobody sees me so that whenever I get up to minister, I'm anointed. I'm going to pray for my husband or my spouse when they don't even know it so that when the faucet of God opens on our life, I can say, I knew it. I knew it all along. I knew the miracle was coming. I prepared for this miracle. I knew it was coming. Nobody else would believe me, but I knew it. His word is still true. Maybe today we don't have the altar call that needs to happen, but we have the preparation in our life that must happen for us to be an overcoming church and for us to eventually see all that God wants us to be. I pray over you right now. Would you bow your head with me and just, would you lift a hand toward heaven and just say, God, enlighten me would you put a spotlight on the place that i need to prepare would you give me an ability to get connected back to your source would you let me not be a dry faucet anymore would you let me not just be show only and not substance would you help me not to just celebrate the titles and not have anything backing it Lord I can get the job because I can talk my way into it but would you help me Jesus to be a good manager would you help me to be a good trainer would you help me to be a good person in the areas where I need to be that back up what I say I am would you help me to be legitimate and authentic Lord God while I stand here with a title or 
stand here with a job, a decision to make, Lord God, would you help me to do it, not from my emotions, but would you help me to do it understanding that I need to be close to you more than anything, and I don't want to do anything that quenches the Spirit. God, help us today to be patient, to be resilient, to go through it, to be strong. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. They're going to sing this song. Let's sing together. This song is a triumph. It is a word of prayer. Let it be your prayer today that you're going to come out victorious. I believe in an overcoming church. How about you? I believe in a church that stands past a cross, past a tomb. Amen. A church that has redemption. Expect and prepare. Expect and prepare. And will be an overcoming church.